Turn your Bibles with me, would you, to Genesis 21, verses 1 through 21. If you need a pew Bible, it's there in front of you on page 18. And if you need that Bible, we want you to take it and use it as your own. Genesis 21, 1 through 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time at which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast day on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up, and he lived in the wilderness, and he became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we come and we stand before you as servants who are ready to hear your word and do your will. 
And Lord, we see in this passage that you hear us, you see us, and you know our condition, and you know our trials and our suffering. May we learn from this passage what it is that you have for us this morning. May you hide your messenger behind the cross, and may we hear the word of the Lord that gives life to those who are dying, that gives hope to the hopeless and provides help in our greatest time of need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is it. God comes through. The son that God promised is finally born. Just think about it. Think about how Abraham and Sarah must have felt after 25 long years of waiting. And now God comes through on his promise. Isaac is now born, but the waiting wasn't always easy. In fact, we have seen in the story of Abraham's life that Abraham and Sarah had tried for years to have a child, and then they they took matters into their own hands and tried to make it happen with Hagar and Ishmael. But God said no, and they waited another 15 years, and, and now Sarah was beyond the age of having a child, and that's when God miraculously opened up her womb and did for Sarah what he had promised. He gave her a son, the long awaited promised son of Isaac. It is a miraculous story here in which we see here in Genesis chapter 21. And the main point of the whole story is this. You can count on God. You can count on God to always come through. In fact, notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. God comes through at last. God comes through in this story to fulfill His promise He comes through to accomplish his plan. And while this is obviously great cause for great joy, it often involves great pain, as we're going to see. When our boys were young, they loved watching all kinds of movies. One movie that they enjoyed watching was the movie Shrek. How many remember that movie? came out a while back. And one of my favorite lines is when Shrek talks about how ogres are like, remember it, like onions. Remember that line in the movie Shrek? It says, ogres are like onions, they have layers to them. Well, that's kind of like the life of Abraham. Abraham's life has these layers. He's like an onion that you peel back. And, And we have seen In our journey in the life of Abraham, we have peeled back some of those layers, and we have seen some of those layers, how he is a man of faith, and yet he's also this man of fear when it comes to trusting God in his promises. This story here in Genesis 21 is no different. This story here has layers to it. And the first layer is rather obvious, the birth of Isaac, Let me tell you, that is cause for some great joy, some some great celebration. But after peeling back that first layer, there's a second layer, and that layer is somewhat troubling. The birth of Isaac, well, it also involves pain, great pain for his father Abraham. 
But underneath that pain is another layer in this story that actually reveals the mercy of God in the midst of that pain. Now, this is true of our lives as well. We're, we're kind of like Shrek. We're kind of like Abraham in the sense we are all like onions. We have layers to our lives. And God wants to deal with all the layers for our good and for his glory. And so what I want us to do this morning is peel back the layers in this story. And I want us to to see how Abraham and Sarah responded when God came through in their lives and what it means for you and I here today. So notice this, number one, joyful celebration. That is the spontaneous, spontaneous response to the birth of Isaac. Joyful celebration. Now, this is actually the climax of a story that began way back at the end of Genesis chapter 11, where we are told in verse 30, now Sarai was barren. She had no children. And now we come to the climax of that. Ten chapters later, we finally read here in verses 1 and 2, the Lord visited Sarah. In other words, The Lord intervened in her life, and he performed a miracle, as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah, as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Now, just pause right there, because I don't know about you, but don't you just want to kind of ask or yell, what, that's it? That's all there is? That's all the details we get after 25 years of waiting, after 10 chapters of build-up to this climax. The birth of this miracle baby is given in two short verses, and that's it. Some of you might be wondering, there's, there's worse of details about the baby's weight, the baby's length. No mention of how a 90-year-old mom did with giving birth. In fact, nine months is compressed and condensed into these two short verses And you might be asking, what's up with that? Why? And the reason is because the focus, at least our focus, is all on God. The focus here is on God and his faithfulness in these two verses. In fact, this is stressed and it's emphasized three times in these two verses so we don't miss it. So look at it with me again, where it says the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And she conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And so the focus here is not on the sentimentality of Isaac's birth. It is on the fulfillment of God's promise. God comes through. It's been 25 years since Abraham and Sarah left Ur of the Chaldeans. It's been a long time since they were promised this child. And so the emphasis here is on God coming through on his promise. And yes, it almost can seem rather, well, let's admit it, anticlimactic. After all, in chapter 18, if you remember that chapter, there's all this attention given to the announcement of the birth in that chapter. And so there's much more detail given about the announcement of the birth than there is to the actual details of the birth here. Why? Because, again, the whole point is not on the messy details of a child being born, but rather that it happened 
according to God's promise, just as he said. And now Abraham and Sarah, they know within themselves, they know within their heart that God has been faithful in every detail of his promise. The birth of Isaac, in other words, it is validation that God always keeps his promises. Now, what do we learn from this? Because there is much for us to take away from this particular story. So let me suggest to you three things that we can walk away here that we can learn. First of all, we learn that we can always trust God's word. You can trust God's word. As noted in verses 1 through 2, God said, God promised, and God did. He followed through on his word, and he fulfilled his promise to Abraham and Sarah. Granted, it took 25 years. Granted, it was a roller coaster ride of faith and doubt for Abraham and Sarah. Granted, Abraham and Sarah messed it up along the way. But ultimately, they trusted God's word, and it did happen. God kept his word. God came through. God did for Sarah. Just as he had promised, God never forgets his promises. And you and I, we can trust God's word. The question is, are we? Do you? Second, we learn, you can trust God's power. What God did for Abraham and Sarah is nothing less than a miracle here. Especially when you consider that Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old when Isaac was born. And so God did the impossible. He defied age. He defied biology. In fact, Paul tells us that God made them wait until their bodies, in in Paul's words in Romans 4.19, as good as dead, reproductively speaking. Why? So that only God could get the credit. And so God, quote, visited Sarah. In other words, he performed a miracle. God overruled the biological cycle of Sarah's body, and she conceived in her old age, and she bore Abraham a son in his old age, we are told. You see, God wanted to leave absolutely no doubt as to the reason for Isaac's birth. His birth was a supernatural demonstration of God's power in All the credit went to God alone. God wanted everyone to know that there were no obstacles for him. When Abraham, he held this bundle of joy, when he held Isaac in his arms, he knew for sure nothing is too hard for our God. So we can learn that you can trust God's word. We learn that you can trust God's power. And number three, we learn that you can trust God's timing. Look again what it says in verse 2. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time, it says. At the time of which God has spoken to him. Now, I understand, and, you know, some people are never on time. It's just the way they are. Perhaps it's their background, their culture, whatever it might be. Getting somewhere on time is an impossibility for them, but not so with our God. God was neither early nor late in the lives of Abraham and Sarah. He fulfilled his promise on time, reminding us that God is never in a hurry and God is never late. God's timing is always perfect. And the question is, do we trust that? Do we trust that he knows better than us when it comes to his timing in our lives? Or are we more like Abraham and Sarah earlier on when they rushed ahead of God's timing because they didn't like his timing? 
They tried to manipulate the timing of having a son. So how do you think Abraham and Sarah responded to the birth of their son Isaac? Well, just like you think they would. As you can imagine, they responded with this joyful celebration, and specifically we see Abraham obeys in joy, and Sarah laughs in joy. As you might imagine, the birth of Isaac, it was cause for great joy in the tent of Abraham. In fact, his name means laughter. We learned that already. In the depths of Abraham's joy was evident in his immediate obedience by naming the child Isaac, as God told him, and circumcising the child as God commanded him. We see this in verses 3 through 4, where Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And then notice Sarah's response in verses 4 through 5. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Laughter is right. You generally don't see 90-year-old women with, or I should say you generally see 90-year-old women with a nurse, not nursing a baby. So we can... We can understand here Sarah laughing in great joy, almost in shock and in amazement, in wonder and awe over her son Isaac. You might remember Sarah laughed in unbelief when God announced that she would have a son in her old age. But but now here, after it happens, her laughter illustrates for us that, that God's promises are always worth the wait. Yes, God often acts more slowly than we would prefer. But nevertheless, as we wait, God is accomplishing far more abundantly than we can ask or think, as Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. So can you imagine how Abraham and Sarah must have felt when Isaac was born? Oh, how they must have adored their long-awaited child of promise, long after they had given up their hope of of experiencing this bundle of joy. Here they, they are holding their very own son in their arms. The true heir of God's promise had finally been born, reminding us that God always, what? Comes through. Say with me, God always comes through. We see that here in the story. It's the main point of chapter 21 here. In joyful celebration over the birth of Isaac is the first layer in this story. But, as you peel back this first layer, we come to another layer in the story. You see, God not only comes through in fulfilling his promise to Abraham, but God now also comes through in protecting his plan of salvation through Abraham's son, Isaac. And this part of the story involves painful separation. Notice number two. Painful separation is the necessary response to the threat of Ishmael. 
Now, obviously, as we have learned, as we have seen, Isaac's birth is cause for great joy in the lives of Abraham and Sarah, but their joyful celebration of Isaac also involved the painful separation of Ishmael. Roughly 14 years earlier, Abraham and Sarah had tried to to rush ahead of God's promise, tried to rush God's promise of a son, and, and in their haste, in their lack of faith, they schemed to have a son on their own terms and in their own timing through Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. And sure enough, Hagar became pregnant. She gave birth to a son named Ishmael, a child of Abraham, but not the child of God's promise. And now Sarah has given birth to a son of her own, the true child of God's promise to Abraham. Now, some of you might know the birth of a new baby always threatens an older child. Especially if that child has enjoyed exclusive attention in the home for some time. Ishmael, for the first time in his life now, has to share his home with a rival. And to make matters worse, let me tell you, he understood that Isaac's birth jeopardized his standing in Abraham's household as the only heir. And so not everyone was happy about Isaac's birth. As one author put it, he peed in the proverbial punch bowl at the family celebration. And that pretty much sums it up. You say, why? Because Ishmael knew that he represented Abraham's fear. He represented Abraham's compromise, his lack of faith when he rushed ahead of God's promise, while Isaac was the true child of promise. And so for the next three years, conflict brews within Abraham's tent, within his family household, with Ishmael growing each year as a threat to God's plan through the promised son of Isaac. All of this comes to a head at a family celebration. Drama always seems to surface at family celebrations, doesn't it? Notice the fallout here in verses 8 through 11. Again, this is another layer to the story. It's the underneath layer to the obvious layer of joyful celebration of Isaac's birth. But now we see this layer to the story, and it's the fallout. And the child grew, that is Isaac, and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. And so when you peel back the layers here, we uncover a rather troubling scene here in Abraham's home. It's not unlike any of the conflicts in our own homes in a certain amount of ways. For all of our homes are filled with dysfunction to some point. Conflict in our relationships. Where we desperately need God to intervene and provide us the only solutions. 
that he can. And so notice the troubling scene in this home, the pain that God actually sanctions here, though. Notice, first of all, that Sarah saw Ishmael laughing in mockery at Isaac, despising the promised seed of Abraham. Ishmael's laughing, it seems to have been a a scornful laughter, laden with mockery, laden with ridicule. In fact, his laughter was malicious in nature. Paul even says in Galatians 4, chapter 29, that Ishmael, get this, persecuted Isaac. That was the nature of his laughing and his mockery. It was his way, Ishmael's way of despising Abraham and his seed. And perhaps it is now even an initial fulfillment of what was prophesied back in Genesis 16, 12 about Ishmael. Let me read it to you. Speaking of Ishmael, he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. And that hostility first takes shape against Isaac. You see, to Ishmael, the the excitement surrounding the fulfillment of God's promise, it was all a big joke. On that day at the family celebration, Ishmael laughed too. Oh, he laughed, but he was not laughing with Sarah. He was laughing at Isaac, and ultimately he was laughing at God, and he was laughing at God's promise. In fact, Ishmael's mockery of Isaac, it was an attempt to crowd Isaac out of the picture. Therefore, Ishmael was using mockery to set himself against God's promises, which is a very serious sin. And so by adopting this attitude of ridicule, this attitude of mockery and scorn, Ishmael was essentially declaring himself now to be outside of the promises of God. And in response to this, notice number two, Sarah demanded that Ishmael and Hagar be cast out. Why? For Ishmael must not share the inheritance with Isaac. Sarah has no doubts about what must be done. Both Hagar and Ishmael must be driven out. Ishmael must not share the inheritance with her son Isaac. Now, first glance... Sarah comes off as an overly protective mother here. But as John Calvin writes, given the history of bad blood between her and Hagar, we may even infer that Sarah is latching onto any justification that will help rid herself of a longstanding source of such pain in her life. And so certainly, there is no doubt about it, Sarah is speaking here from bitterness within her own heart that's been brewing for the last 14 years. This is, this is clear from the way that she refuses even to use the names of Hagar and Ishmael, only calling them what? The slave woman and the son of the slave woman. And so it is very understandable here to examine Sarah's motives here with some suspicion. Nevertheless, nevertheless, do not miss this. God still instructs Abraham to do all that Sarah tells him to do in verse 12. So we can't just write off Sarah's concerns here as petty personal attacks. 
No, there's layers to all of this. And you have to dig deeper under the layers of what's going on. And Sarah's demands here peels back another layer that now reveals the incompatibility of the natural and the spiritual. You see, by insisting that Ishmael shall not be heir with Isaac, Sarah even seems to be quoting God's specific words back to Abraham when Abraham suggested earlier that his servant be his heir. And God now tells him in Genesis 15, 4, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And now Sarah is quoting that back to Abraham. Therefore, Sarah demands that Abraham finally rid their family of Hagar and Ishmael, who represents a threat, Ishmael does, to the very fulfillment of God's plan concerning Isaac. And of course, as you can imagine, all of this is very distressing. It's very displeasing to Abraham, according to verse 11. In fact, we see this in our third point here that Abraham was very distraught, very distraught over casting Ishmael out. But God directed him to send Ishmael and Hagar away. Now, Abraham, obviously, he's he's reluctant to agree to Sarah's demand to cast Ishmael out of his tent. And we we might even be tempted here to share Abraham's reluctance, to, to side with Abraham in this. After all, Sarah's demand seems rather harsh to us, even even if Ishmael deserves it. Who does that to a son? Cast him out. And so, no doubt, Abraham's reluctance here to cast out Ishmael was motivated by his love for his son. Abraham loved Ishmael. Oh, he loved Ishmael. And true, he had often grieved over Ishmael's arrogance, over his hasty ways, but Abraham didn't want to send the boy away. He loves this boy. In fact, Abraham's grief, again, another layer that you peel back under it and look more depth in the story here. What it shows us, his grief, his reluctance, is showing us that Ishmael has now become a stumbling block for Abraham. Think about this, Isaac. The long-awaited son of promise has been born, and yet Abraham remains attached to Ishmael, the son who was born of the flesh. In other words, he was born through lack of faith and trust in God. He was born through his own manipulation, what he could do to force God's hand. John Walton, a commentator, summarizes this obstacle, this stumbling block of Abraham's emotions this way. He says, and I quote, Ishmael is not only a potential threat to Isaac, but he continues to be an obstacle to Abraham. And again, another layer to the story is you have to understand what God is preparing Abraham for. What happens in the next chapter? Some of you know, God is preparing Abraham for a greater act of faith with his own son Isaac that comes in the next chapter. And if Abraham at this point right here in his life is not willing to part ways from his son Ishmael, he will never be willing to give up his son Isaac as God will ask him to do in chapter 21. 
But God is so merciful. As we have seen throughout the story of Abraham, God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace and love. So merciful here. And again at this point, Abraham's breaking heart was at least comforted by God's mercy in giving him a promise and reassuring Abraham of this promise. Look what God says to Abraham in verses 12 through 13. Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. And here's the turning point for Abraham. The turning point in the story for Abraham comes right here. It sets him up for obedience in the next chapter. And I actually believe, we're not told this explicitly, but if Abraham doesn't obey here, does he obey God in chapter 21 when it comes to Isaac? Notice his response, his obedience in verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning. In fact, that is the first of two times in which we read Abraham does this. In chapter 21, Not with Ishmael, but with Isaac, he does the same thing. He rises early in the morning to obey, and now Abraham does it first here. Look at it. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, let me just time out here. Let's pause. Because we need to peel back, peel back, think of it as an onion. We need to peel back another layer in the story of what we're seeing, what's going on here. Because in a sense, Abraham's grief, his pain, his heartache over sending Ishmael away was nothing more than, listen to me, a delayed consequence for his earlier sin of rushing ahead of God's promise. And now you're seeing the fruit of it. By now, Ishmael was about 17 years of age. And Abraham has known from the very beginning of his birth that Ishmael was not God's choice. And since God had not chosen Ishmael as a promise seed, the boy could not be Abraham's heir, even though Abraham is thinking to himself that the inheritance could somehow be divided between his two sons. But God had to destroy that false notion for the sake of his plan of salvation for the whole world through the promised seed of Abraham's son, Isaac. And all of this points to a very difficult truth and yet a very helpful truth in our lives. Notice it. Though every act of sin is forgivable, the effects of some sins are not erasable. In other words... God always forgives our sin. He always forgives our sin when we ask in humble repentance and faith. And while God forgives our sins, and while God will wipe the slate clean in terms of our relationship with him, listen to me, our wrongdoing may have lingering consequences from which there is no painless way out. It's another layer to the story. And this often means, 
not just for Abraham, but for our own lives even today. It often means the necessary response of painful separation in order to experience God's best in our lives going forward. And the question is, are we willing Are we willing to let go of that which which seems good in our hearts, but is of the flesh of what we have done and manipulated for our own satisfaction and has now become a stumbling block in our lives? Are we willing to let it go? That was the question Abraham faced. It's often the question we face in our lives as well. And yet, God, God in this whole story, he's so merciful, he's so gracious. Even though Ishmael was not part of the covenant promise of God, God still shows mercy and grace to Ishmael and Hagar when they find themselves on the brink of death in the wilderness of Beersheba. Notice their seemingly hopeless situation here in verses 15 through 16. When the water in the skin was gone, She put the child under one of the bushes, and then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, look, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. Gordon Weenham, another commentator, he describes this particular heartbreaking scene well when he writes, suffering the trauma of divorce, Hagar wanders days in the wilderness until the water runs out, and then she dumps her son under a bush sufficiently distant so that she can see him, but not so close as to hear his agonized cries as he dies of thirst. How does God respond to this? Because right now some of you may feel like you're Hagar. You may look at your life and say, that's me. I'm I'm Hagar or I'm Ishmael. And how does God respond to me in this situation where it feels like I'm living in a desert wilderness and there's no hope? Well, notice the mercy that God shows, this tender scene in the wilderness where, first of all, God heard Ishmael in the wilderness. Notice God's mercy here in verses 17 through 19. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave a boy a drink. Now you might remember that Ishmael's name means what? Anybody remember? Ishmael's name means God hears. And that's exactly what's happening here in this scene. And although God heard Ishmael, the angel of God spoke to Hagar, saying to her, fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy. And then God does two things out of mercy. First, God reassures Hagar that he will make Ishmael into a great nation. And second, God opens Hagar's eyes to see a well of water. And so what mercy of God we see here. See, understand this. God is providing for Ishmael's future with this destiny. He's also providing for Ishmael's present situation with a well of water, a drink. So he gives Ishmael a destiny and a drink, one for the future, one for the present 
And the second of all, notice, is God established Ishmael in the wilderness. We read in verses 20 and 21, and God was with the boy. That's mercy. That's grace. God was with the boy, even though he's not part of the promised seed of Abraham. And the boy grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And so what mercy we see here with our God when it says, and God was with the boy. God wasn't going to let him die. God had made a promise to him. And at the same time, this does not mean that God was, quote, with Ishmael in the same spiritual way that God was with Isaac. We know that since Ishmael's Egyptian wife, it actually foreshadows for us future conflict that is coming between the Israelites and the Ishmaelites. And yet, and yet, Ishmael is still cared for by God. And so what a merciful God we see in this story. What a faithful God we see. God comes through. Oh, does God come through. He comes through to fulfill his promise and to accomplish his plan of redemption for the whole world. God has given Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, and God has removed Ishmael as a threat to his redemptive plan through Isaac. And yet at the same time, God has also provided for Ishmael in order to fulfill his promises that he made to him when he was conceived and born. And so what we see in this story from beginning to the end is that God, what? Comes through. God comes through. And while this is cause for great joy, it is also involves great pain. And that's what we see with these two sons in Isaac and Ishmael. Now, obviously, the question becomes, well, what does that mean for us here today? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for you? And what does it mean for you? Isaac and Ishmael. Well, thankfully, we don't have to wonder what it means for us today because the Apostle Paul has already told us. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, listen to it as I read it. Paul writes, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are covenants. So here's the spiritual stakes with Abraham's two sons. Notice it in your notes. Ishmael, a son who was born according to the flesh, represents what, what we can do in our flesh, what we can do in our own power. That's what he represents. That's what Paul is saying here. While Isaac, on the other hand, is a son born according to the Spirit. That is supernaturally by the power of God, and he represents what only God can do in our lives. And so immediately, we see there is this striking difference between Isaac and Ishmael. Paul says that Isaac pictures that which is 
born of the Spirit, while Ishmael is a picture of that which is born of the flesh. And Paul goes on to write in the same chapter, in verses 28 through 31, listen, now you brothers like Isaac are children of the promise. He's speaking to the Jewish nation here. But just as at that time he, that is Ishmael, who was born according to the flesh, persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Symbolically, here's what Paul is saying. Is that Abraham had to choose to live either by the flesh or by the spirit. In other words, Abraham was either going to trust God's promises, regardless what it costs, or lose everything that God promised to him by trusting in himself. And today, we, we have the same choice. We will either try and control our lives, and how many of us do that? We will either try to manipulate the circumstances in our lives. We will try to do that, and at the doing so, we will try to limit our losses, or, or we will surrender control to Jesus Christ. We will surrender everything to Jesus Christ, which is the whole point that comes in the next chapter with Isaac. And by surrendering control to Jesus Christ, we will find our joy, we will find our lives, and we will find our purpose in him. And Paul says the same is true for us. What is your Ishmael here today? Whatever it is, this is the point. Ishmael must go. Here's the point. Most Christians today, I would venture to say most Christians here in this auditorium, most of us, we have a, quote, Ishmael in our lives that needs to go. And though we, we have committed our lives to Christ, we, we even have a desire to live for Christ, we have some habit, we have some sin that we cling to, or we have some feeling of resentment or bitterness that we refuse to let go of, that is our Ishmael. And while God may allow us to cling to our Ishmael for a time, eventually God comes to us and he speaks to us and he says, Ishmael must go. And yes, there's no doubt about it. It is painful. It is a painful separation to let Ishmael go. And God knows this and he's patient with us just as he was patient with Abraham. But when God says Ishmael must go, then let it go. And if you're going to walk in the power of the spirit, you must let go of the flesh. And the question here for all of us this morning is, what is your Ishmael? Whatever your Ishmael may be, it's time to stop clinging. It's time to stop defending. It's time to stop justifying that, that Ishmael in your life that was born of the flesh, of what you did. 
And so whatever your Ishmael is in your life, understand that is a threat to the very promises of God being fulfilled in your life. And so like Abraham, send it away. Say goodbye to your Ishmael and be fully yielded to the Spirit of God and you will find the joy of Isaac in Jesus Christ. Theologian Edmund Clowney writes, and I'll close with this quote, In Jesus, we have the true Isaac. In whom we hear the laughter of God's grace, triumphing over all the impossibilities of our condition. Oh, won't you just turn to Jesus Christ? Let Ishmael go and turn to Jesus. And find your life, find your purpose, and find your joy in him. With your heads bowed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. That we can count on you to always come through on your promises. May you give us the grace to believe and trust in you. Forgive us for doubting you and trying to fulfill your promises on our own terms and in our own time. Thank you for the promise of Jesus Christ that we might find in him our joy and satisfaction. In his name we pray. Amen.